0: Thanks everyone for uh, attending this session, so um, I'll be talking on Pollock's uh, desecralization of the Indian Rasa tradition. So just about, uh, briefly about myself, I think Shalini has already mentioned the important details. So I recently wrote this book called Natural Animity based on my honors thesis, which I did in 2013 in from the University of Sydney. And uh, if you want to stay in touch with me, um, I'm active on Twitter, as well as I also run my blog at satyandratam.wordpress.com, where I have uh, my other articles as well. So today's session, uh, where I'm uh, this paper on desecralization of rasa is basically written on um, uh, these four papers that Pollock has written, um, uh, basically on the Sanskrit, uh, the social aesthetic and the Sanskrit literary theory. And um, what I what I found in these papers was that there was a very systematic attempt being made to sort of uh, desacralize rasa, that is remove uh, uh, the religious aspect of uh, Indian aesthetic theory and transform it into a sociopolitical aesthetic. Uh, and I think I have more on that in the next slide, which is yeah, so basically these are the two strategies for uh, desacralizing uh, Kavya. And uh, desacralizing Kavya, as I said, means that uh, we stop thinking of it as a religious aesthetic and try and think of it as a sociopolitical aesthetic. And the, um, the two strategies that Pollock has employed, uh, one is politicizing Kavya, which means to distinguish Kavya as a separate genre from the Vedas in the sense that Uh, The Vedas belong to the sacred realm and Kavya belongs to the worldly or the political realm. Uh, To to show that the Kavya actually begins with the Ramayana and not from the Vedas and to reduce Kavya to Prashasti, which is the uh, eulogistic inscriptions that kings used to build for, uh, you know, to uh, sort of uh, let people know of their achievements and so on so that's one one uh, way of uh, that Pollock employs the other one is to distort the kavya shastra tradition itself which is um, he takes those people who have uh, uh, whose works can be used to show kavya as a political aesthetic such as bhoja and bhattanayaka and he, he valorizes them he says that these are the most important kavya shastra scholars and the tradition has neglected them and on the other hand, he takes the scholars uh, who are treated as, the, as geniuses within the tradition, like Ananda Vardhan and Abhinav Gupta, and um, he tries to diminish their importance because it is their work which kind of lends itself to understanding Kavya as a religious aesthetic. So in this presentation and, and in my essay, I have basically explored uh, these two strategies to, to um, like discuss them in Uh, So first, we will look at the politicization of Kavya. So uh, the question arises as to, um, is there Kavya in the Vedas? Now, um, you could say, now it all depends upon how you define Kavya. So for example, I mean, generally when you say Kavya, we mean like any literature, which is beautiful. And beautiful could be because it has alankars, it has metaphors, figures, tropes, and so on. Um, so in the vedas for example you have the very famous um, mantras like verses like the dva Suparna, sayuja sakaya which basically means that refers to these two birds sitting in the tree and you know one of them is the karta atman the other one is the sakshi bhuta atman and so you can say that, look, you know, using this using the metaphor of birds and the tree as the body and so on, uh, the, the Veda is conveying its message in a beautiful way. And so there is Kavya in the Vedas. But what Pollock will say is that, no, 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 that is a Paramarthik Sat, paramarthik sat in the sense that it is, uh, you know, based on your logical reasoning, you have defined Kavya in a certain way, and having analyzed the data and so on, whatever truths you arrive at through that is what he calls us the Paramarthic Sat, and he says, uh, on the other hand, there is the vyavaharik Sat, which is basically how the tradition understands. it. So it may not make logical sense to us, but um, certain things are understood in a way by the tradition. And that is important because historically people have acted on their perceptions, not necessarily on what is logically correct. So you may say that it is logically correct to uh, say that Kavya begins with the Vedas. And you can argue your point, but the, the important thing is, what does the tradition say? Does your tradition say this? And he says, no, the tradition says that the Adhikavya is the Ramayana, and valvik is the Adikavi. And the tradition also distinguishes between the Vedas and the Kavya, where it regards the Veda as the Prabhu Sammita Shabda and Kavya as the Kanta Sammita Shabda. And Prabhu Sammita Shabda means that um, it, is, uh, it, is, um, it is the word of, of the Lord or the King or something like that. And Kanta Sammita Shabda means the word of the beloved or the or the wife or something of that sort. So, because of these distinctions, uh, Pollock says that, look, the tradition, uh, you know, the tradition does not see uh, kavya beginning with the Vedas. and. Uh, uh, so you know the vedas belong to the sacred realm and the kavya belongs to to the secular realm or the political realm but um, the way we can sort of refute this this kind of an argument is by showing first of all that uh, even if even if the the tradition has distinguished between prabhu Sammita shabda and Kanta samhita shabda It does not mean that the content of the Vedas or or what the Vedas are trying to communicate is different from what Kavya is trying to communicate. It does not mean that that the the scope or the subjects of um, knowledge are different. What it means is just this, that the Vedas expresses itself differently from Kavya. So if, for example, uh, the Vedas wanted to say that, you know, you should not go west, for example, the Vedas will simply say, do not go west. I mean, that is a command. It will just issue you a command. And that is what this Prabhu samhita Shabda is. Whereas if it was a Kavi who was saying that to you, you know, if, if a Kavi wanted to tell you don't go west, he would say something like, oh, you know what, you should go west because you know, there is this uh, magnificent dragon out there, you know, you should go and see it. But, I mean, basically he's telling you to go there, but he's saying it to you in such a way that you will not want to go there. And so that's how Kavya communicates this message. And so the distinction between Vedas and Kavyas is not in terms of their content, but in terms of their manner of expression. And similarly, if when the, when the tradition recognizes Ramayana as the uh, Adi Kavya, uh, what it means is that, uh, as you know, uh, Valmiki uh, experienced this shoka, this grief when he saw this uh, bird getting killed by the hunter. And uh, uh, and it was this shoka from which the shloka emerged, and that is where the Ramayana has come from. And so basically when the tradition recognizes uh, Ramayana as um, the Adikavya, what it is saying is that, look, this is a work that, that has arisen from, or it's an expression of uh, human emotion, of human suffering. And that is why this is a Kavya and we do not recognize the Veda as something of that sort. So it is in this sense that we are saying that the Ramayana is a Adi Kavya. So these are things that Pollock uh, does not take into consideration. And of course there is nowhere where the, uh, where the tradition itself makes a distinction that, uh, oh, this is sacred and this is political. I mean, this is Pollock's own innovation. Similarly, his his, uh, his reduction of Kavya to Prashasti. So when he's discussing Kavya, he's mainly looking at all these eulogistic inscriptions that kings have inscribed. But then if you look at the Kavya Shastra tradition, there is very little reflection as such on Prashasti. I mean, there's a lot of reflection on Alankars, guna, Dosha, and all the rest of, you know, all those sort of things. You know, what is Rasa? Where does Rasa come from? And all that stuff. So that is what the tradition is interested in. It's not interested in... Uh, How can this literature enable kings to sort of uh, express their political will? So these are sort of Pollock's own ideas, his own innovations. And that's fine. I mean, if you want to have these sort of ideas, that's one issue. But to say that the tradition is saying these things, I mean, that's uh, that's what he's trying to do because he wants to avoid the charge of uh, Orientalism and so that's, i mean that's uh, it's it's out of that uh, for, for that reason that he feels he feels compelled uh, not only to assert his his own ideas but to show that these are endorsed by the tradition itself uh the other uh, strategy as i said was to um, elevate certain um, certain uh, scholars like bhoja and bhattanayaka whose works are amenable to um, understanding kavya as a socio political aesthetic and to diminish the importance of others like abhinav gupta whose work whose uh, writings sort of lend to understanding rasa uh, rasa or kavya as a religious aesthetic so now um, uh, as, as i said i mean the, the main um, uh, thrust of the kavya shastra tradition is to understand how how does kavya produce its beauty and delight, I mean how it is, because Kavya is something that produces saundarya, that, uh, uh, that, that is characterized by saundarya, it produces a Ramaniyata and among the reader in the reader, and it produces rasa, or the aesthetic emotion, and the question is how does Kavya do it? Okay, so that, that is really what the Kavya Shastra tradition has sought to understand. And uh, with regards to rasa, there are these two theories that we find in the tradition. That is, rasa arises from the text or the drama that is from the character, like say Ram or Sita, the performance uh, or the the character of what these people have done. Historically, that is what is creating the rasa. And the other theory is that uh, of readerly rasa, which is to say that um, rasa arises in the reader. It does not arise from the text, but from the reader's grasp of the text. And so there are these two theories of textual rasa and readerly rasa. And of those, of these two things, we see that textual rasa kind of lends itself to a political aesthetic, because then you're saying that, you know, a text is written in a certain way so that it produces a rasa, and through its rasa, it kind of influences people to act in certain ways. And so the textual rasa can, <coughs> sorry, can lend itself to a political aesthetic while The readerly rasa, which which lays emphasis on the reader and how the reader understands the text, uh, lends itself to a religious aesthetic. And so, as I said, uh, Pollock's main aim in studying the Kavya Shastra tradition is to uh, valorize those scholars uh, who emphasize the textual rasa, like Bhoja and Bhattanayaka, and to diminish the importance of scholars like Abhinav Gupta, who focused on readerly rasa. Uh, Anandavardhan was a, was also textual rasa, but that's a complication to which I'll come uh, subsequently. So we'll see how he devalorizes Anandavardhan and Abhinav Gupta first. Um, so Anandavardhan is famous for his uh, dhvani theory, which is uh, which says that dhvani is the atman of kavya, or that uh, it is because it is through dhvani that rasa is produced. It is dhvani that creates beauty in kavya. And what Dhani means is that the expressed meaning is contrary to the intended meaning. So uh, this is one example of Kavya there before you. Um, you're free to go wandering, o holy man. The little dog was killed today by the fear lion making its lair in the thicket on the banks of the Goda River. So what, I mean, in this verse, for example, there is a vidhi which says, you know, you're free to go wherever you want but there is at the same time in the vidi there is concealed a nishedha or a prohibition uh, arising from the fact that you should not be going to that thicket on the bank of the goda river because there is a lion out there but you are not you, you haven't been told in so many words don't go there it is just that you are you know in, in fact what what you have been told is you know you can go anywhere you want so um, but but at the same time because of this concealment of this prohibition that is why why um, ananda vardhan says this is this is kavya this is what is what creates beauty in kavya that is your express your uh, sorry your expressed meaning is you are free to go anywhere but your intended meaning is don't go to that thicket. okay and this is the linguistic suggestion which uh, ananda vardhan has called as dhvani and what is what he says is is the basis of beauty but um, now Abhinav Gupta, whose Lochana is a commentary on the dhvanya Loka of Ananda Vardhan, where he has laid out his um, dhvani theory, um, it sort of, when it is interpreting this particular verse, he says that this verse was actually uttered by a woman who was trying to conceal her meeting place um, where she was supposed to meet her lover. So obviously, she does not want people to go there, and that is why she is saying this. Now, uh, there is nothing, I mean, this is what Abhinav Gupta said, and this is how the Kavya Shastra tradition has basically understood this verse. But what Pollock is saying that, look, there is nothing in this verse that says that this was uttered by a woman for this particular reason. And he's, he kind of picks up on that. You know, from, So how did Abhinav Gupta understand this? Why has the tradition understood this verse in this manner? And in fact, for him, that is the suggestion, that, that what the verse is trying to get at is the loose and devious character of women. That women say these kind of things because women are these adulteresses and they have all these affairs and they want to conceal their, the, the, the the hiding places from from everyone else. And so, what this verse is trying to tell us is 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 basically a, a sort of a um, a comment on women or a comment on the character of women. And it is not so much a linguistic suggestion, but it is a social suggestion. It's a sociopolitical suggestion. It's a way of you know, gender oppression or something by, by uh, uh, dehumanizing women or something like that. So for him, suggestion is basically social, not linguistic. And that, uh, you know, uh, people like Abhinav Gupta and Ananda Vardhan and the rest of them, they have uh, sort of uh, not realized the sociality of the text. Uh, but instead focused mainly on the linguistic aspect of it. And and so uh, in this way, he's trying to sort of say that, look, the tradition has flaws in it, because, because the whole point of literature is to communicate a sociopolitical message. This verse is also doing that, but this is not what the tradition studied. The tradition is kind of obsessed with the linguistics and a result of which it becomes blind to its sociality. So, this is how he sort of tries to uh, diminish the importance of these these scholars that they did not study their subject properly. Um, on the other hand, there is uh, Bhoja, and uh, Bhoja, who has written the Saraswati Kanta Bharanam and the Shukara Prakash mainly. Um, and what Pollock, now Pollock is very impressed with Bhoja because Bhoja, you know, he makes all the right noises on this because he says, well, Kavya is for the maintenance of socio political order. The whole point of Kavya is a command, which is to sort of uh, um, uh, uh, so sort of send a signal to the to the audience on how they're supposed to behave in in the world. Uh, the hero is a social moral agent. He, his his behavior kind of encodes the social moral norms and so on. And, and 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 this is really what Pollock wants. And he sees this in Boja's theory. And his his and he therefore projects Bhoja as the champion of the original tradition. That is, this is what, what the Kavya Shastra tradition was originally about. Uh, it was originally about a socio-political aesthetic, but then there occurred this Kashmiri revolution, as he calls it, uh, which is sort of like an aberration, you know. Uh, it happened, he says, because um, of the, the decline of the civic uh, courtly ethos in Kashmir. And by, by Kashmiri, because Abhinav Gupta and Anandavardhana both from Kashmir, so that's what that Kashmiri revolution refers to. And uh, it happened, as I said, according to Pollock, because uh, there was a decline, and and then he has discussed that in detail in his uh, Death of Sanskrit. And I think in the last uh, conference, Manodhya Shastri all, uh, and others who wrote on the Death of Sanskrit have already pointed out the issues with that sort of thesis. But uh, anyway, but that is that is basically Pollock's. That that that's the way Pollock tries to sort of. Um, uh, established that the whole point of Kavya Shastra was to study Kavya as a social-political aesthetic. Now, uh, what is ironical, actually, in all this is uh, Neil Delmonico, who is another, uh, uh, another American scholar uh, of Kavya Shastra, uh, he has, in fact, uh, written a thesis saying that uh, Rupa Goswami um, uh, his his religious aesthetic. I mean, Rupa Goswami, as you know, is a is a great uh, Gaudiya Vaishnav scholar, and um, uh, he's written a lot of work on Rasa. And uh, his religious aesthetic is actually based on bhojas, not on Abhinav Gupta. I mean, usually one thinks of Abhinav Gupta as the basis of religious aesthetic in India, but but even in bhoja, there is a religious aesthetic, and and this is what has led to Rupa Goswami's works. Um, now. Uh, Pollock, Pollock knows this, because uh, because partly Delmonico supports his thesis that uh, Bhoja has been neglected in the Kavya Shastra tradition. And uh, Bhoja has been neglected in the Kavya Shastra tradition, so he's uh, he's happy that Delmonico has pointed that out. But at the same time, he says that uh, in the rest of his thesis, I cannot follow him, which is to say that, you know, as much as Delmonico says that Bhoja also Subscribe to a religious aesthetic and that was influential, uh, he does not want to sort of deal with that. So you can see how, um, you know, he he just like, just as we saw in the previous case, that he just takes whatever is convenient to his narrative and ignores whatever he thinks uh, would go against it. Um, but the Nayak's case uh, is a bit complicated. Uh, I don't know how, how much I will be able to explain it through this presentation, but I'll try. Uh, Bhattanayaka is um, actually the scholar in Kavya Shastra tradition who uh, first established the idea that rasa arises in the reader and not in the text. Now, as I said, readerly rasa is something that Pollock does not like. So Bhattanayaka should actually be his enemy. But the thing is uh, Bhattanayaka was an opponent of Anandavardhan's dhvani theory. And uh, but point was that uh, see uh, sorry uh, Anandavardhan's point was that uh, rasa arises from the text. It arises on account of the Vyanjana Shakti, which is the suggestive power, as I said, or the dhvani, and it is it arises as a as a vyakti or a manifestation. So uh, there is no production of rasa, but rasa is already there. It just manifests itself in the text. And uh, well, this doesn't really make any sense because how does the text uh, uh, manifest rasa? Uh, and what what Bhattanayak is saying is, because Bhattanayak is a Mimausak, and as a Mimausak, he does not uh, believe in any of this Vyanjana Shakti stuff. For him, there is only one Shakti in language, which is the Abhidha Shakti, or the direct expressive power or the denotative power of language. Uh, and it is on account of this Abhidha Shakti of the language that rasa is produced there is a production there is a bhavana of rasa in the reader and he is kind of uh, modeling all this based on the uh, mimamsa theory of language in the vedas that is the vedas by their language just as i mean just as the vedas by the sheer power of the language inspires the reader to act to perform certain actions uh, in the same way, he says that the abhidha shakti of the text produces rasa in the reader, and there is no such thing as Vyanjana shakti. Now, uh, so basically, what he's saying is that okay, rasa does arise in the in the reader, but it arises because of the abhidha shakti or the power of the language, or the power of the text, and that is why that is why um, Paulak is partial towards Bhutanayaka because because even if the rasa is arising in the reader. Its its central locus is still in the text, and that is what Pollock wants. But then along came Abhinav Gupta, and he ruined this whole thing. What what Abhinav Gupta said is that yes, fine, rasa does arise in the reader. It does not arise in the text, but it is a vyakti. It is a manifestation in the reader. It rasa is not produced by the text in the reader. Rasa gets manifested in the reader on account of his on account of the interaction between his own vasanas, that is his sarudayita, his Rasikata, whatever, and its engagement with the Vyanjana Shakti of the text. So the text has a Vyanjana Shakti, the reader grasps that Vyanjana Shakti on account of his Rasikata, on account of his vasana, and that is what creates within him that delight. And that delight is what is, is a sort of a semblance or is akin to the Brahma swada. It is almost like a religious experience. So, uh, and, and, and that's what I mean in the. If you look at the fourth point, when I say, um, so, so um, um, but the point was that rasa is produced as a shabdavruti, a linguistic modality, and then, but what uh, Abhidhar Gupta is saying is that it is a chidvruti. It is because of the psychological modality, a change in the, in the psychology of the reader caused by the venjana shakti of the text so Pollock is very angry with all this that what has happened here right because because a what abhinav gupta did was he took bhattanayak's theory and kind of turned it against him and the tradition in general did not recognize does not recognize this fact at all for the tradition all that abhinav gupta did is is just rephrase what bhattanayak was saying he, he just kind of corrected what bhattanayak was saying and polak is saying no 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 bhattanayak is saying something completely different and the tradition has not recognized this okay so so this is how polak goes mm-hmm. that he, he he's, he's criticizing the, the, the Kavishastra tradition um because it is it is neglecting i mean bhattanayak's work uh, the rudray darpan is in fact lost now um and, and so the, you know, the tradition has simply not paid enough attention to that now, look, uh, what is the, uh, you know, how do you resolve this particular dispute? Is Pollock really correct in what he's saying and all that? I mean, I think you would need a hardened RASA expert to answer all that. But what we, we do understand, what we can understand is that, uh, is, is look how Pollock is owning the tradition. He's sort of, you know, he as if it is his own tradition and he's saying, oh, look, look at the problems in there. These people, you know, there are all these good guys, uh, you know, who, who, who uh, really, were the ones who came up, uh, who understood Kavya properly as a socio-political aesthetic, but the tradition has not uh, paid sufficient attention to to that. And and his whole project then is of giving it a new direction. Uh, And and what he has written is sort of uh, to give justification to why this is is required. So this is basically what I've explained uh, in my paper. And uh, I think I'll just conclude now with, uh, we, we just uh, sort of leave you with these couple of um, discomforting uh, facts. Like, uh, first of all, I mean, this is not, I mean, what whatever Pollock is saying, it's not an India versus West thing. It's not like Western scholars in general say this. There are scholars like Daniel Ingalls and Mason and so on who have tried to understand Kavya as a religious aesthetic. And at the same time, you have scholars like Sam Trivedi and V.K. Chari, who are uh, not comfortable with this religious aesthetics and who want to remove the religion religious aspect of all of Indian aesthetic theory. And, and uh, so while on the one hand, we have uh, uh, these attempts being made to sort of understand uh, Indian aesthetic theory in a purely secular perspective, uh, you have on the other hand, certain Christian groups who are... Um, appropriating the rasa of Abhinav Gupta or uh, Rupa Goswami's uh, works, like going through their theories of, of religious um, uh, rasa, like rasa the divine experience and trying to sort of build a narrative on Christian bhakti rasa and expressing it through Bharatanatyam. I think Rajiv, uh, Rajivji has I think, mentioned that somewhere and uh, I kind of uh, hinted at that in my paper as well. Okay. So uh, that's basically what I wanted to share with you today. Thanks. Ashay, this is Ravi Joshi. Just to, wanted to ask you to elaborate a little bit on this. Was a wonderful presentation. Taught me a lot about uh, the subtleties of what you're trying to, you know, analyze and you know, discuss. One thing is that uh, in the previous two presentations, we heard a lot about the connectivity of this with Shastra and specifically with the you are talking here about the text and the reader there they were talking about the 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 prekshaka and the patra the, the you know the the mm-hmm. viewer and yeah. the artist so mm-hmm. can you give us a connection between both of them and what where do you think it fits in with uh, Pollock's thing does it undermine what he's trying to do or does it you know thank you uh, okay thanks ravi um yeah, so basically, as I said, um, the, uh, for Pollock, uh, he, wants, he wants Rasa to um, arise in the character or the text that is important for him because, uh, see, the text, because for, from him, for him, and in fact, not just him, but the whole Marxist literary theory is that text is something that the elite control. And it is through literature that they sort of normalize uh, oppression of the, um, of the proletariat or whatever, okay? I mean, why does the proletariat not challenge their oppression? It is because uh, they are brainwashed through literature and so on, so that they are... Um, uh, op- so they don't even realize it as oppression. And that's what happens, through, and that is how... So, so Pollock basically wants uh, to show that text or characters and so on are deliberately constructed in, the, in such a way by elites to uh, say, uh, to uh, sort of um, um, send a certain socio political message but uh, the thing is uh, within the indian tradition this has never been recognized i mean this is, as i said this is a marxist theory this is not an an indian theory the indians have never understood things in this way they they don't see this function of literature at all for them literature and in general art in india has been seen as a as a metaphysical experience and this is what, um, in, you know, the, the Atma of Kavya, I mean, initially, uh, they thought that, the, the, that Kavya was basically about Alankar and so on. But then, uh, you know, that was seen as Kavya Sharira, that is the body, just the external part of it, whereas the essence of Kavya, the Atma of Kavya is its dhwani, is, its, um, is the way in which it creates this aesthetic delight in the reader. And that is seen as connected with the divine experience. But that is something that arises in the reader. I mean, the reader has to be at a certain level. His vasanas, like what he had, his his prarabdha, yeah. and so on, has to be at a certain level that he is rasika enough to appreciate all this. So, so this is where the tradition is going. And Pollock has something else to say. He's he's of course based on Marxist literary theory. But as I said, the, there is a there's a second problem here, which is of Orientalism. So, tradition, I mean, uh, you know, uh, a, a few decades ago, Pollock could have just said whatever he wanted and they could have said, you know, the Indians are irrational, they are unscientific, they are, they don't understand things and, you know, the Europeans are the only ones who are, you know, rational and scientific and so on, and so they will tell us what is, what is the right thing. But in postmodernity, you can't do that. You have to appreciate the tradition. You have to follow what the tradition has been doing. And in order to do that, so, which is why Pollock's works can be a bit too uh, complex, because he can't just say what he wants. He also needs to further say that this is what the tradition is also saying. So that is where the complexity comes in. Okay. I, I don't know if I have answered your question, but. Uh... So I think with this, I'd like to close this particular session. Thank you. To help me, you can do two things. You can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Uh, Secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, You go to rajimalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. You can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. If you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, Infinity Foundation India. And you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.